This is episode 510 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, How to Homestead on Less Than an Acre. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, this episode is sponsored by HydroBlue VersaFlow Water Filter. The VersaFlow is one of the most versatile water filters currently made. Not only can you use it for your personal water filter needs, but you can use it to create a family-sized water filter. And with the possibilities of filtering up to 100,000 gallons, the VersaFlow could filter one gallon of water for each family member for many, many years. Now, to make it easy for you, I've created a free video and PDF tutorial that shows you how to easily turn the VersaFlow into a family-sized water filter. Now, right now, you can have this family-sized water filter for under $25. To watch the video, get the free PDF tutorial and a code for 20% off of the VersaFlow, Click the link in the show notes or visit PrepperWebsite.com forward slash VersaFlow. All right, guys, so let's go ahead and jump into our article of the podcast. It comes to us from HomesteadSurvivalSite.com. And again, the title is How to Homestead on Less Than an Acre. Now, when I'm going in and start reading this article, I have a problem with it because it starts bleeding into homesteading and it's talking about homesteading, right? It starts out talking about homesteading, or at least that's the, the title and that's what you think you're getting. Then it bleeds a little bit into like SHTF and, you know, that kind of, you know, preparedness for, you know, like apocalypse type stuff. And so I really think that, I mean, the information that's here is good and it really should get you thinking and all that kind of stuff. But I really think that, you know, like SHTF and homesteading should really be separated. Homesteading is that idea of wanting to be more self-reliant and you're working that into your life with, you know, a lot of the times you're thinking about making your own, you know, so you're gardening, you're, you're growing your own food, you might have some animals, that kind of stuff. But then when you talk about preparedness and SHTF, you're talking about a whole nother situation, right? A whole nother uh, frame of reference, things that you got to consider. So I really think that you should keep them separate. Homesteading, yes, maybe homesteading would be the perfect uh, ideal setting if you went into an SHTF situation, but really they need to be separated. So you'll see kind of what I'm talking about as I read this article. I'll reference a couple of things and maybe at the very end, I'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So let's go ahead and get started. Again, coming to us from homesteadsurvivalsite.com, how to homestead on less than an acre. Sustainable survival homesteading is possible on less than an acre. While you can't raise a herd of beef cattle in your backyard, you can still raise your own meat and eggs and grow your own groceries. The space you have to work with, of course, matters, but how you use that space matters more. The first thing you have to do is set priorities. Differentiating between wants and needs and creating a list of priorities is a vital part of the homestead planning process regardless of your budget or number of acres, but it is especially more important when you live on a small plot. Now, while your priorities will basically be the same as a prepper living on 50 acres, 
you will have to scale down your projects and use your space very wisely to accomplish your sustainable survival homesteading goals. The 10 small homestead priorities are water, food, like garden, livestock, and preservation, alternative energy, medical, including growing in apothecary, defense, OPSEC, tribe, or going it alone is not a realistic long-term survival option, maneuvering around legal obstacles, storage space, and LP and OP. So let's start off with the legal woes. Where you live matters. Preppers living under stringent homeowners association rules will find it more difficult, but still not impossible, to homestead. The rural county where I live doesn't have a zoning office or any types of permits required to do anything but put in a septic system or a well. If you live in a small town with similar county laws, backyard homesteading will be far easier or a far easier process from a legal standpoint. Now, although living in a right-to-farm state offers some benefits and protection of your rights to grow your own food and keep small survival livestock, some restrictions almost always still apply. Before rushing off to Tractor Supply or Rural King to buy chicks and seeds, make sure you review local laws that pertain to anything homesteading related. So, once you know what you can and cannot do legally on your small homestead, it is time to consider how your self-reliance efforts will look to neighbors and road traffic. If you don't care if your setup effectively shouts a prepper lives here, feel free to skip this section. But if you are a wise prepper, please read on. If you don't have a privacy fence and can install one around all but the front of your yard, that should be your first step. A commonplace wood privacy fence should not raise any eyebrows or alert neighbors and strangers that your home is the one they should raid for food when the SHTF. Stockpiling additional fencing in ready-to-install sections, preferably with barbed wire attached to put across the front of the house during a long-term disaster, is highly recommended. Alright, so this is one of those sections where I'm talking about where you're thinking about homesteading, OPSEC really shouldn't be your main your main concern, right? You're homesteading, you're wanting to, you know, be more self-reliant. So if yes, you should put a little bit of thought into it. If if you can, you know, if you're buying a place, you know, you can always have that in the back of your mind, but that shouldn't be like your driving force, right? And so I know that this this you know this article is like homesteading and then you know, a prepper homestead, maybe, I guess if you want to look at it that way. But for me, I would first be focusing on homesteading. And then if I was buying some property, I would be focusing on homesteading. And then in the back of my mind, where is this located? And and who's going to be looking, you know, uh, at my property and all that kind of stuff. Uh, You know, if you're worried about people realizing that there is something to take from you, you probably don't want to have barbed barbed wire ready to go on your fence the moment you know you you the apocalypse happens or whatever. So you know so you hear hopefully you, you hear what I'm saying here. Um, when you're talking about homesteading, you want homesteading to be your main priority with thoughts to all this other stuff. But you know you don't want to start off the very beginning like hey opsec you know and all of that. You want to start, you know, you want to be able to to look at, there's other priorities, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So let's jump to water. 
Now, creating a secondary water source so you aren't relying on a public utility can be accomplished on a small amount of land with an operational security protocol followed as well. Digging decorative garden ponds in front or both in front and back on a small parcel of land should give you a decent amount of emergency water. Rainwater collection barrels creatively disguised as typical lawn decorations should also be attached to your home, garage, and any outbuilding on your property. All right, so again, water is one of those the most important things that you need. If you have a well, you know, where I live, I'm on, you know, I'm in a mud district, right? And so we have water coming in. It's just, you know, like the tap, like no problem. But just a couple of streets down, I know, you know, there's some people that lived close to me that I knew were on a well, you know, and so that was great. And I believe, actually, I believe they had both. They had the mud district water and then they could tap into their well. And that would be ideal, right? If you had that possibility, but if not, you still need ways to be able to gather water, you know, whether you are in a one acre homestead or whether you have a hundred acres, that still needs to be a priority for you. All right. So again, this next section is one of those things that I'm talking about where, you know, I don't think should be in this article, but let me go ahead and, and read it. It says LPOP, listening post or observation post. If you live in the suburbs or even in some small town, you will be limited in the types of outdoor construction and landscaping projects you can do by law, limiting but not eliminating your ability to create listening and observation posts. Building a tower that can double as a deer tree stand and an LP or OP will only be an option if you live in a rural area and on enough land that a passerby could reasonably think you are using it for hunting. Otherwise, you will lose your covert prepper status. If you live in a two-story home, consider adding an upstairs porch or balcony to use as both an observation post and a vertical growing space. Adding on a half or a second story to a garage or storage shed can also open up opportunities to create a disguised but not hidden LP or OP. You can build the railings on the observation deck out of typical wood materials, but you should back them with concrete-filled cinder blocks and or thick metal to help defray at least small caliber bullets and increase protection from the elements. Use metal roofing on any new addition and, when feasible, replace existing roofing with the same material to increase longevity and decrease vulnerability to fire. An even better option is a hidden earth berm, LP or OP, but only if you have the terrain for it. If such a secluded spot is not an option, put it in a root cellar or put in a root cellar with an entrance as obscure as possible by landscaping after adding some viewing portals on the walls, roofs, and doors. So again, when we're talking about homesteading, really LP, when you read any kind of homesteading book, or you're thinking about homesteading, putting in an LP or an OP, right? A listening post or an observation post is not anywhere in there. And so this article is written with your homesteading with the idea that you're moving into, you know, you're, you're preparing for, you know, the apocalypse or the SHTF, uh, an SHTF situation. So would it be nice to have an ability to look out and see what's going on out there, be able to see above your fence and to be able to see in the neighborhood or the surrounding areas. Yes, but that's not one of the main priorities for your uh, your homestead. And especially if you are in a small homestead, 
you know, you, you have an acre. And so that was one of the, the main draws of this article, right? All right, so continuing on with the next section. Depending upon the amount of land you own, putting in a traditional gardening plot may be possible, but a small plot will not be enough to create a steady flow of produce during a long-term disaster. It is possible to grow enough food and natural remedy ingredients to feed a family of four on only a quarter acre or even less. There's a link there, guys, as well that you can click on if you use your space wisely. So remember, calling 911 will not be an option during an SHTF scenario. So learn how to grow and identify and use medicinal herbs, roots, bark, and weeds as part of your backyard apothecary survival plan. All right, so completely agree with the growing and especially if you are in a, a small area, you're in, you have an acre of land. You can do those, you know, you can do raised beds, you can do all that kind of stuff, but going vertical is very possible. And so you want to be thinking about that. How can I maximize my space? Because here in a minute, we're going to talk about livestock. And so you just can't take up every parcel of ground with, you know, with garden, you're going to, with a garden, you're going to have to have room for, for animals. If that's something that you would want. And I think if you have an acre of land, you are going to want that. And so, you know, think about that growing vertical and you can do a little bit of research on that. It's not too difficult to do that. I remember there was an article, there's a video out there as well of a family that lives on a small plot of land, a one quarter of an acre, something like that. And they grow all their own food. They're self-sustaining. You know, um, actually, I think if I remember correctly, they might have been on Doomsday Preppers. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, uh, they had a Mercedes, that they, a, a diesel Mercedes that they create, they made their own biodiesel and things like that. I could be confusing it with another video that I saw on YouTube, but they were able to do that because they were able to go vertical in their, in their growing and in their gardening. All right, so the next se section is best ways to grow food in small spaces. So containers, growing fruits and vegetables on decks, porches, and along the sidewalk as edible landscaping and conventional hanging planters and baskets will substantially increase how much food you can produce. So again, remember guys, we're thinking we're using, we're maximizing all of our space. So what about barrels? Purchase some food grade plastic barrels that can be decoratively covered to grow potatoes, onions, carrots, strawberries through holes drilled in the sides. Water crop. So grow rice on a small scale and planters nestled in with your decorative garden ponds. I don't know about that, but you can do that. I guess you can look into that. Vertical gardening. We've already talked about this one. Buy or build vertical gardening containers and attach them to the house, garage, outbuildings, and privacy fence to cultivate shallow root and flowering crops. You can also grow vertically inside your home, your windows with quality lights or by purchasing hanging grow lights. What about raised beds? Turn your raised beds into edible landscaping areas and build additional growing beds that can have glass frames placed over them to use for seed cultivation or like a mini greenhouse in an open space on your property. And then what about enclosing your porch? So enclosing a porch and using it as a greenhouse as Rick Austin, the survivalist gardener promotes. You can also grow both native and non-native dwarf fruit trees inside the covert survival greenhouse. So there is a guy, he is a professor. I think he teaches at Urban 
harvest here in the Houston area. Uh, so the guy from Growing Your Own Greens, the YouTube channel, I can't remember his name. Uh, he's out of California. He's made a couple of visits. He's actually made a couple of videos here uh, at this guy's uh, home. And th this guy has all different kinds of fruit and vegetables uh, growing. It's, it's pretty amazing. He just lives in a regular neighborhood. But when you go to his backyard, he has tons of fruit trees. I mean, it's, it's crazy the amount of food this guy is producing. And it's producing like year round uh, here in the Houston area. He's kind of created his own little microclimate because he's, he's just he has all this this stuff going on back there. So that was pretty fascinating. If I can find that video easily, uh, I know I linked to it on Prepper website a, a while back. I'll link to it in the show notes so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. This guy has stuff everywhere. And again, that's what I'm saying. It's very possible to do. Uh, you know, he didn't do it overnight, of course, but it's very possible to do if you just put a little bit of effort into it. All right, so the next section is raising your own groceries. Now, depending upon laws, you can cultivate a sustainable chicken flock and rabbit colony in a small space. Rabbits are far quieter than chickens, all right, than roosters, so you can likely get by with keeping even large amounts of rabbits without attracting unwanted attention or neighborhood complaints. Now, guys, I'll tell you, even hens, chickens, you know, are still loud. They still cluck and they still do all that kind of stuff. I, I just had two of them and they were pretty loud. So I can imagine if you had, you know, five or six or 10, they're going to be really loud. Neighbors could, if you live in a regular neighborhood, they could uh, complain a little bit there. And But rabbits, rabbits are almost silent. Uh, you don't hear rabbits at all unless they're running in their cage. And, which is very rare. And all you'll hear is just kind of like, you know, um, something chasing something for a little bit. It's kind of weird, but nothing like chickens, right? So rabbits are very, very doable. All right. So let me continue on with this one here. In many small towns and suburbs where keeping chickens is allowed, there are often limits on how many can be kept. And sometimes having even a single rooster is prohibited. Without a rooster, your flock will eventually die off, taking your meat and egg supply with it. Keep as many chickens as allowed by law and preserve the meat and eggs they provide to grow your shelf-stable stockpile of long-term storage food. All right, so you can, of course, if you live in a neighborhood, you, you do not want a rooster, all right? So you people will just kill you, <laughs> kill you for that. But you can have, uh, you can introduce you know, new chicks into your flock. Now there's some, you know, you got to be careful the pecking order and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, you need to work with the right breed and maybe even have two different flocks separated in your yard. You know, you could do that possibly, but you can do that, you know, because this is right. You know, this article is right. Your chickens will eventually die off because you, you don't have a rooster there. But as long as you're not in the in the zombie apocalypse, you can always go. Like I just went to the hardware store this uh, earlier uh, earlier this week, and they had you know they had the the pins set up for little chicks, right? So they were already getting it ready. So if you wanted to get chicks, you can go and, and get them there and kind of go from there. So you can always get those. Again, you're not always thinking about the zombie apocalypse. You know, poop hit the fan. Uh, you know, you're thinking about being more self sufficient, self-reliant, thinking about homesteading. All right, so continuing on here. 
To keep chicken and rabbits, you must have storage space to stockpile a large amount of feed and straw. Consider putting a storage loft in the garage to avoid taking up any ground real estate. Make sure your fencing will keep the small livestock in so they can free range during the SHTF disaster to reduce reliance on your stockpiled grain. Now, pygmy goats and dwarf goats can also be maintained on only a couple of acres or in a well-situated backyard. Goats can be used for their meat, but also are best kept from a survival standpoint for their milk. They are about as big as a German shepherd and are a lot quieter than a dog. The goats can eat the grass in your yard to supplement their grain and hay intake. They are browsers and can even find their own food in the winter on low quality brushland. The goats will get into every growing plot accessible to them. Typically, both goat breeds are very docile and can even be worked by young children. A single pair of breeding goats is all you could logically keep in a backyard. You must have a plan for the kids that will be produced either to butcher them or barter them unless you can afford to stockpile a tractor trailer load of hay and grain and have space to store it. All right, so let me let me just go back to this here. I don't think you would be able to, if you just had one acre, because that was the title of this article, right? How to homestead on one acre. I don't believe you could have goats. There's, I just don't believe you. there's no way. There's no way you could do that uh, if you're trying to grow enough food to be self-reliant and self-sustainable. If you are trying to do that, if you're trying to have goats. It's like you're you're just playing around with a little bit of everything, right? I'm gonna have a little. I'm gonna have some chickens. I'm gonna have some goats. I'm gonna have some some uh, you know some garden beds, and we'll just kind of see what what's going on there. Goats are man. They just they you really need to know what you're doing as far as an enclosure and keeping them together. Uh, having two is better than having one because they can kind of keep each other company there. But they will get into everything, and so I, I just don't know if it would be possible to have you know two goats on one acre and then be self uh, self reliant. Could could it happen? I, yes. Is it possible? Yes. You would have to be very, very strategic. But having enough hay and, and food and stuff like that for them, I just don't know how possible that would be. So for me, yes, having the milk would be a very, uh, a very positive thing. But for me, I think I would forego the goats and focus more on the rabbits and the chickens and then try to find someone that does have a goat and barter with them to get some milk if that was the case. Okay, so the next section is food preservation. Although you could build a smokehouse to help preserve the food you are growing and the livestock you are raising, you could also invest in a charcoal smoker and achieve the same results. You should also invest in a quality home electrical dehydrator, make or buy a solar dehydrator, and stockpile both water bath and pressure canning supplies to ensure you can preserve all the produce, eggs, and meat you are producing. So I'll tell you, you know, I live in, in a neighborhood, your typical suburban neighborhood. My father-in-law doesn't live too far away. He has his own smokehouse in the back. It's not a big footprint, and you know they smoke. Uh, you know they smoke the uh, the deer sausage back there every year, and so you know it's it's something that's really doable. You can keep it. Actually, my neighbor that's across from me has a smokehouse as well. 
It's very small, you know, you don't need a huge one, but uh, it's very doable in a backyard. Uh, I don't know about the charcoal smoker and all that. And, you know, if if you're considering, again, going to that SHTF or whatever, you know, you would have to you have to stockpile charcoal or whatever. But anyway, so like my father-in-law can do his smokehouse with just a little bit of, of wood. He can keep that going. All right. So the next section is alternative energy. The power grid cannot be counted upon during a long-term disaster of any type. Invest in solar gadgets, camping gear to help power your SHTF existence. If you live on a rural small acreage, investigate the feasibility of harnessing hydropower from a flowing creek and small-scale wind turbine use as well. You can hide many of your solar preps in plain sight. Solar landscaping lights and solar camping fans attach to your porch and will not look out of place even in an upscale suburban environment. Fireplaces can provide warmth, but not as efficiently as a wood stove. A cast iron wood stove top surface can be used for cooking and can also be retrofitted with a copper coil system that connects to a hot water tank to warm water. This is helpful if you have a well that is not powered by electricity. Now, an old-fashioned wood cook stove can look attractive in any kitchen and provide not only additional warmth and a top cook surface, but baking and warming space as well. A compact wood-burning stove and oven combo like this one, and there's a picture here, allows you to cook indoors, a huge plus from an OPSEC point of view to help you maintain smell discipline and prevent the smell of a yummy meal from wafting out onto the street. Now purchase a whole house generator that is multi-fuel based so it can run on diesel and propane in addition to gasoline to enhance your fuel stability and longevity. Consider investing in at least one solar generator because they never run out of fuel and run silently. Remember to stockpile repair and replacement parts for the generators and solar panels and consider storing them in a Faraday cage to protect them from an EMP. Invest in an inexpensive and portable camping style composting commode or convert your existing toilets into residential composting commode systems to create a sanitary way to dispose of disease spreading human waste. All right, guys. So again, you know, that, that whole section there is thinking of, you know, long term poop hit the fan, zombie apocalypse, all that kind of stuff. So is it good to have alternative energy? Yes. And I would say build your own solar solar power system with a solar panel and with some car batteries and an inverter and charge controller. I mean, you know, you, you do a little bit of research online. I know that there's some good books out there. You can easily build your own for pennies on what, uh, well, not pennies, but well, I guess, yeah, pennies on the dollar for what it would be, uh, you know, buying one of these already made for you systems, right? So, you know, all the other stuff there to consider, again, that would be nice to have, nice to consider, you know, nice to put that in place if you can. But remember, the purpose is how can I be a little bit more self-reliant? I'm homesteading and all that kind of stuff. You know, how can I, uh, you know, be that, you know, aim towards that and not necessarily go all out because I'm worried about, you know, the apocalypse happening. The next section is tribe creation. Now, developing some prepping friends in your neighborhood will help keep your family safe. The fewer people you have to defend your survival homestead against, the better. If you do not live in a rural area, the percentage of neighbors who own guns, hunt, fish, and garden is likely low. 
Begin networking with the folks around you to encourage them to garden. Show off your cute goats so maybe they will fall in love with them and begin raising their own milk too. If there is not a neighborhood watch, start one. Connecting with people around you who are also motivated to protect the area could lead to the development of a civil defense emergency plan. All right, so if you attended or you watched my Facebook Live with James Walton of the Prepper Broadcasting Network, well, then we talked a little bit about this of what you can do nowadays to create, you know, people that are like-minded, preparedness-minded. So, um, I, you know, going into doing a community garden uh, would be one of those first steps. And then going into, you know, doing a, a crime crime watch, neighborhood watch, that would be a next step, right? As, as people get to know each other. The problem with today, if you're talking about, you know, small homesteads, like, you know, an acre, maybe you live in a neighborhood, whatever. And, uh, you know, a, a one acre plot of land in a neighborhood, I mean, those are still pretty big plots of land, but it's not so far away that you can't know your neighbors. The problem with today is that nobody knows their neighbors. They come home, you know, from a long day's, day of work, they go into their house, they eat dinner, they, they plop on the couch, they watch TV, and then, you know, they rinse and repeat. And we never stop to get to know our neighbors and, and all that kind of stuff. So that would be something very valuable for you to do, you know. You know, even if you're not doing the homesteading thing, just from a, you know, protection, defense, get to know your neighbors so that, uh, you know, you can look out for each other. Uh, I think build those relationships. I think that's good. So, um, you know, that video is always on Facebook on the Facebook page, you can go and check it out and you can, you can watch that video. If that's something you're interested in, how, you know, some maybe some strategies on building uh, your, your community up. And so that you can, you know, if you ever faced a situation, an SHTF situation, well, then y'all are all on the same page or at least heading that way. The next section is storage. Now finding space to store livestock feed, gardening supplies, and all of your preps can be tough in a municipal setting or even on a small acreage. Putting in a basement under both the house and garage, building loft storage in garages and sheds, and using floor-to-ceiling wall cabinets will help you take advantage of every possible inch of usable space on your small-scale survival homestead. Now, homesteading in a small space has its challenges, but the rewards make all the work worth the effort. Getting started can feel overwhelming, but take the time to develop a solid plan that works within your budget and set short-term goals that are feasible to accomplish, starting with water and food security. Okay, so storage is one of those things. I think that's something that everybody deals with. Unless you have a humongous home with a bunch of empty rooms that no one is using, I think storage is always one of those things, especially for preppers who might be, you know, stocking up food and different things like that. That's always going to be one of those issues. All right. So, you know, that's it for this article. Let me just one last thing here as, as I'm winding down. When you think about homesteading, one of the things that people that move to, to a homestead. So, you know, they've lived the, you know, the American dream, whatever. They've got their real jobs and then they're like, you know what? I want a homestead. And so they move out to the country and they start homesteading. One thing that you always hear from everybody is start small. Don't try to, you know, add your garden, uh, add rabbits, add chickens, add goats all in the same year. 
add a little bit at a time, right? So you start your garden, you get that going, you get that under your belt, you make sure you know you do it one or two years, make sure you know what you're doing, and so you know you can you can be successful at that. If you maybe after the first gardening season, you want to add some chickens because the ch- chickens are just so I mean, you can use almost every part of the chicken if if you really wanted to. And so it would be smart to have that, uh, you know, that manure to compost and, and all that kind of stuff. So if you wanted to add chickens, but maybe you start small with the chickens. Maybe you start with like a flock of five and that way you make, you know, you make sure that nothing can get in there and uh, destroy your flock, right? Because if you have an opening somewhere in there, by the time you know it, uh, you know, your chickens are gone. And so that way you can, you can find out where the openings are. You can close all those down. You can see if you're going to have issues with, you know, uh, even, you know, hawks and, 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 you know, birds taking your flocks, uh, you know, coming down and swooping down and taking them and all that different kind of stuff. Right. And so you could do that. So again, what I'm trying to say is start small. You want to make sure that you're able to not burn out, that you want to, you want to be successful in what you're doing. And so, you know, have a plan just like everything else. We're always talking about have a plan in preparedness, you want to make sure that you're starting small and you're you're being purposeful in what you're doing and you're organized. So if you are listening to this and you are thinking about, hey, I'd love to move out there and start homesteading or, you know what, I got some property. I got a big backyard. I've got an acre, two acres, you know, I'm living on and it's just grass out there and I'm going to, you know, let's go ahead and start this homesteading thing. Do it, but start small, you know, start with one or two garden beds. You know, start with a you know a small flock, but don't go crazy trying to add everything uh, you know, all at one time. You know, you might feel like, well, Todd, it just feels like we're so close to you know SHTF or whatever. Yeah, people have felt like that for a while. You just don't want to get overwhelmed, spend a lot of money, make a lot of mistakes. You know, be smart, learn from people, do research, all that kind of stuff. And in, you know, start small and you can build on top of your successes. Well, guys, like always, I'm going to link to this article in the show notes so you can come check it out, read it a little bit more carefully, click on some of the links, look, look at some of the pictures that are there and, uh, you know, come support, uh, you know, the homesteadsurvivalsite.com. Right. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 510 and another week of podcast episodes in the books. Hey, I want to just thank all the listeners. If you've been listening, uh, if you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, thank you so much. Um, the the numbers have been climbing. Uh, as I look at the numbers of downloads and people engaged in the podcast, um, it's just it's just a good feeling, right? Because I know people are out there. They're uh, they're they're listening to the podcast. There's new subscribers, and so it just feels good to know that the work and the effort that you're putting that I'm putting into the podcast pays off because people are finding value in it. And so I do appreciate that. If you are finding value and you've never done a review or you've never, you know, left, you know, five stars or whatever on iTunes or, or, you know, there's people that are listening on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. There's, you know, you're listening from all different uh, places because I see that in the statistics when I, or in the analytics when I'm looking at that. And so if there's a way that you can leave a review, I would greatly appreciate that because when people are looking for 
podcasts, you know, and they're they want to, they're clicking from podcast to podcast, and like, hey, is this something that I want to uh, look at? They're going to look at reviews and stars, and you know, they're going to do that. And so, if you can help promote the podcast, uh, I greatly appreciate that. And the other way that you can promote the podcast is just by word of mouth. If you know of anybody who listens to podcasts, you can always share, you know, that's one opening there. It's like, hey, I, I stumbled upon a podcast called the Prepper Website Podcast, and they just talk about a lot of different, you know, uh, a lot of different topics, you know, that are about self-reliance and self-sufficiency and uh, homesteading and, you know, all different kinds of topics, right? I try to vary it, so I'm just not focusing on on one thing all the time. And so that would be great. Or maybe there's somebody that you know that is preparedness minded, but they don't necessarily listen to podcasts, but they might start listening to podcasts. Uh, if, you know, you know, like they have a drive or, they, you know, they take the bus into town and this would be just a way to kind of kill time. It, podcasts have become so easy to access now. I mean, you just do it on your phone and you just download. And, uh, you know, I talk about this often, but I consume probably about two to three podcasts, if I'm not listening to an audiobook, two or three podcasts a day, just in the morning when I'm getting ready, uh, you know, driving to work, driving home from work. And so there's just a lot of value there. And you, you learn, you're, you're learning while you're, you know, it's almost like passive learning, right? So anyway, if you can spread that word, that would be great. I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, if you're listening and you're not subscribed, then don't forget that you can subscribe to the show by going over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes, including links to Prepper website that you can go to during the weekend if you are wanting to get a little bit more preparedness and social media like our Facebook group. Well, guys, with that, I'm going to say choose to live a more self-reliant life. She's not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.